kind of hazy, but not, not the brown cloud that we've seen there before. <coughs> Pardon me. Interesting study this morning. I started reading in Hebrews chapter 2, and there's a very severe warning given here in, in chapter 2 and 3, and with good logic behind it, which is interesting. The, the writer of Hebrews has a very different mindset than the Apostle Paul as far as the way he approaches things. He's a very logical, well-thought-out person. And not that the Apostle Paul is not, but his, this man's logic uh, comes back and it ties, ties itself together. If, if you will follow what I'm saying here, his, his logic is impeccable. And he gives us reason all through here for serving the Lord. And in this warning, he warns of the peril of indifference to the, to the truth. And that is just letting things uh, slip, letting them fall out of out of place in our own minds, in our own hearts. So let's take a look at this chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews, and we'll see uh, and well, I'm going to back up a little bit here into chapter 1 because here in chapter 1 uh, well, verses 4 through 14, he made it very clear the preeminence or the superiority of Jesus Christ to the angels. You know, a lot of people think angels are are really something. They're, and they are, no question about it. They're powerful to do the will and the bidding of God the Father. And they're made to assist or to uh, minister to those who, who would be the heirs of salvation, to those who would be willing to place themselves at God's disposal to be used. Um, but Jesus, uh, is by virtue of being who he is, the one that God appointed and to come and to do the will of the Father here on the earth. And that is, as we saw back in the book of Ephesians, to bring the Jew and the Gentiles together, that they come together and by the power of God's Holy Spirit, live lives of love and care for one another. And to do the bidding of God the Father. To love God above all others, and, their, and thy neighbor as thyself. 
This is the one great commandment. And Jesus came and did the will of the Father in even giving himself. And what he has done is far superior or far above what the angels have done. Angels didn't give themselves. They could change, take a human form or whatever form and and still be doing the will of God the Father. But Jesus came and he is far above the power of the angels and he has done things that the angels could not do. And in verse 13 of chapter one, it says, but unto which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. God said this of Jesus, and this is quoted, quoted from Psalms, and we'll find that this author of the Hebrews quotes the Psalms quite frequently. He's talking to Jewish people here who knew the scripture, who knew the Psalms especially. They, they learned their alphabet through the 119th Psalm. And so they were familiar with the scriptures and familiar with the Psalms here. He says of the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? That is, they they are servants of God. They don't. Uh, they don't do anything but God's will. That is what their job is. That's their purpose. They're they're messengers. They are uh, messenger servants to do the will of God the Father. And he, speaking of Jesus and being more superior to these angels. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. So what have we heard? The gospel? The good news? That God came and paid the price of sin for all of mankind? Not just for the Jews, but for the Jews and Gentiles both, as we learn there in the book of Ephesians. Jesus broke down that middle wall of partition between Jews and Gentiles that separated us from the, from the kingdom of God as the Jews perceived it. And so what does he mean here by let them slip? The things that we have heard. Well, the, evidently this was an idiomatic uh, thing that he said here. And this idea is of a, you know, they, they stored their wine and, and their oil and things like that in, in clay vessels, in pottery. And if, they, if there was a little crack 
in a clay pot, the oil could seep out and just leak away. Next thing you know, there wasn't anything left in there. It was, it was gone. And this is the idea of, of this idea of letting it slip. The warning here is given to be careful that we not carelessly ignore the importance of the great salvation that Jesus brought and that he made possible by becoming a man so that he could pay the price of mankind's sin. This was the purpose. This is why Jesus became a man. Jesus was the Son of God. He was there at the creation with the Father. And yet he made himself, he humbled himself to become even lower than the angels for a time, for the purpose of doing the will of the Father, to pay the price of mankind's sin. It's an interesting concept here. And, and this is the good news that we have heard. And we need to be careful to remember this constantly, all the time in our lives. He says, oh, the things which we have heard, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed, pay more attention to this, because they're the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Let them get away from us. Get lose lose our our focus on serving God. This is an important thing. He goes on in verse two. He says, "For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, if if you could trust the things that the angels said, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward." In other words, if you didn't do what the angel said, you were punished. That's the recompense of reward here. You, you were repaid according to your lack of faith, believing what the angel said. So he says, if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, if it was reliable or certain, however you want to say that, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard it? So he said, Jesus brought this message. He came and paid the price and it was confirmed. Uh, not only uh, he it was confirmed by the people who saw him here on the earth they they gave eyewitness testimony as to Jesus and his power and you know it wasn't just the angels that said these things but it was men as well who saw the things that Jesus did and knew him as he walked here on the earth. Uh, and if these things spoken by angels were ignored, 
and those who disobeyed were punished. Now Jesus has declared the gospel, and it has been confirmed by men who who were eyewitnesses of Jesus. And even and verse four goes on. And he says, and uh, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to His own will. So God the Father also confirmed the things that these others had said, whether they were angels or men or Jesus himself, God confirmed them by power to do things on earth that men could not do. They could not raise the dead. They could not heal the blind or the, the maimed who, who had never been able to walk in their whole lives and they'd be up and jumping and dancing and singing and rejoicing. This couldn't be done by anyone else. So he's saying that there are not only three witnesses, but there are four. There, there's the angels, there's Jesus himself, the men who saw these, and God the Father also confirmed these things and, and gave by the power of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will, he confirmed these things. So this was God's desire. It was his will from the beginning. And here we have uh, this, this good news. And how many people realize how important this was, that this good news is something that, well, in, in Ephesians, it was called a great mystery that even the prophets of old desired to look into. And the angels didn't, weren't privy to this. They, they didn't have a knowledge of what God was doing. But this was God's master plan. This was his desire. And he made it possible by commissioning Jesus to come to this earth and to die to pay the price of mankind's sin, yours and mine. And so he says, don't let this slip. Don't let this thing get out of your mind. You need to pay a special <coughs> attention to this. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? So there's punishment for those who do not <laughs> heed this. Uh, and even God the Father says this is important. This is a very important thing. And the writer of Hebrews said, was telling the Jews who, in they, their law said that two or three witnesses and and it's a done deal. Well, here there are four witnesses to the same thing. And not only are they witnesses, but even God the Father himself made this emphatic by, making, by giving the miracles that took place in Jesus' time 
So in first, <coughs> verse 5, he says, uh, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. So he says, there, here's something that we're, we're looking forward to a, a new world, a kingdom, or the kingdom of God. And I, I believe that that's what this is talking about. Jesus made this possible. And so here he says, uh, Jesus was given authority over the world to come. That kingdom, it wasn't the angels that were given that authority. They had, weren't given power there. But we have been given an opportunity to have a part in that kingdom, that world to come. This is what he is talking about here. Uh, the angels weren't put in, put in charge of the world to come, but Jesus was. And that's the world that we're talking about. This is wherever we speak in the end of that chapter, that verse 5. Verse 6 goes on. He says, But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? We know that that was David in the Psalms. And let's, let's turn back to the Psalms and look at that. Psalms chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength, because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. He said you, he gave this to weak people, to children, that he might, by his own power, overcome the enemy, the avenger. That's Satan, as I understand it. That's the one. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? We look at the stars and the, the universe around us, and we're finding that there are more uh, galaxies out there than we thought there were stars in the Milky Way galaxy. There are more galaxies out there than we can even imagine. That Hubble telescope showed us far more because it was outside of the atmosphere and it could see deeper into space. And when they first tested it, it showed what something like 20, 29, I think it was, 29 galaxies that we have never seen. Galaxies, the first picture that they took through that telescope. Wow. We've never seen stars in that sector of the, of the, uh, what we can see from Earth. But 29 
galaxies in that small area, just over Orion's shoulder is what they said that was where they took a picture. They, they were testing that new Hubble telescope mirror and, and here were all these new galaxies we never even imagined were there. Galaxies. <laughs> we look at, you, you stood out at night and seen the Milky Way galaxy and we can't count the stars in our galaxy. But here were more galaxies than we even knew existed. Did God get any bigger? <laughs> Not at all. He says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him? We see the sun, the moon, and the stars, and we, we're, we're awed by that. But God took the time to visit man and to make special provision for us. Verse 5 says, For thou madest him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea. And whatsoever, whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. This was the psalm that the author of Hebrews was quoting here. And he didn't quote all of that, but he goes on and he speaks of more of it in, in the same context. He says, in verse 6, it says, But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or to the son of man that thou visitest him? Why would God worry so much about us? Well, we know that John 3.16 tells, tells us the reason. God loved his creation, loved man in particular, made in his own image. And so he made a, that sacrifice of his son to pay the price of the sins of man. Again, here in verse 7 in Hebrews, it says, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownedest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Jesus was set over the works of God's hand. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all, all, put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. So he says, God said this is going to be so, but we see some things that are not put under him yet, that are not in subjection to him. And one of them is the thoughts of mankind. And Satan is not. But so there are some things that need to be taken care of yet, even now, even in this day and age. He says, but we see Jesus who was made a little, little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor 
that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. This is why Jesus became a man. He didn't have to. He left his home in heaven as the Son of God and came to live as a man for you and I. So, Jesus was given all authority over the world to come in that kingdom, not the angels. And this psalm is quoted, and he says he, he made all, makes all things in subjection to Jesus. Not only mankind, but brings the enemies of God also into subjection. So Satan will, Satan and death and these things that are not in subjection to God right now will be made, were made in subjection to him when Jesus paid the price on the cross. And yet there, God has, has waited to make the finalization of all of this so that men might repent and turn from their sins and accept the salvation that God has provided. You know, we, we don't see, you know, we're saying, well, how come he hasn't done everything already so that the kingdom can come in right now? Well, he's given people an opportunity to repent of sin and we need to realize that it's me it's you it's each of us that we need to repent in our own hearts and put ourselves in subjection to God because that is another thing that is not necessarily in subjection oh, we need to not let these things slip let this get away from us. We have this opportunity and there's punishment if we don't take advantage of it. And so he's saying here that this is a amazing thing that we're seeing here and we shouldn't let it get away from us. And Jesus came and tasted of death for every man. Verse, verse 10 here goes on. And he has, and there's another thought here. It says, For it became him for whom all thing, are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. I read that and I read it many times and I'm not sure I understand it completely yet. That first ten it says it became him. It was it was appropriate for him is another way of saying that. For whom all things it it was appropriate for him whom all things are and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. 
why isn't it appropriate for Jesus to suffer for me? I, I, I have trouble with that idea of appropriateness. But there wasn't another way. There, this was God's plan. And he, knowing the future, knowing the hearts of man, knowing who we are, uh, but he says that Jesus brought many sons into glory. That's, that's those who believe, who trust him. But, it's, but it was proper for the captain or, or the, uh, the author of our salvation to be made perfect through suffering. That idea of perfect there is completeness or maturity. Uh, and uh, that idea of suffering, right? it, it still boggles my mind. When I look at this and it says that was appropriate or it became him to do that. Why? That, you know, you'd think that there would be another way something where Jesus wouldn't have to suffer. But the scripture tells us that that is the way it is. And I, I think of a, another place here in, here in Hebrews, we go over to chapter, I think it's in five. Yes, chapter five of Hebrews, just over a page here, he says, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. This is talking about Jesus here. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, obedience to God the Father. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. This is where we come in. It's in obeying Jesus. He paid the price. He came and he learned obedience to God the Father even though he cried that this cup passed from me in the garden. And God had to turn his back on Jesus when Jesus took on himself my sin and yours. So this is that suffering, the death on the cross. And, and when I read that this was becoming for him or it was appropriate for him, I, it it boggles my mind. It, it makes me say, how, how can I better serve God? How can, am I letting things slip, letting things fall that, that I might benefit from, that, that God wanted me to have? And by my failure, by my lack of of foresight, a lack of uh, diligence, maybe is the word. 
by my lack of diligence, I'm losing out on things that I could have because of what God sent his son here to die to make possible. So he's, this warning is don't let these things slip. Don't let them get away from you. And whoever wrote this used all the logic he had and he brings these things back and the logic uh, comes back to reinforce itself. Now I'm not talking about circular logic. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about logic that says all of these things that God has done and all these witnesses, all of this is so important that if we fail, we're punished by not getting what God wants for us. So it says also that the captain or the author of our salvation was made perfect through sufferings. That amazes me too. I mean Jesus wasn't perfect to begin with? No, but he was completed. And he was given greater honor for having done the will of the Father. So, let's go on. In chapter 2, verse 11. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. That's a, this, this is another thought that is brought in. He says that Jesus is not ashamed to call those who follow him and do his bidding to call them brethren. That, I believe, is the church. We're called out of the world to serve God through Jesus Christ. So both he that sanctified and they who are sanctified are all of one. We become Jesus' body here on the earth. And the Spirit directs us. And we do the will of God the Father with Jesus, where it's we're all one. Jesus included us in himself. That's an interesting, an amazing thought. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Us. Who are we? We're the ones that Jesus came to die for. He loved us and gave himself for us saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I send praises unto thee. I, and I thought, now who is this talking about? <laughs> who, is, who is singing the praises? I will declare thy name unto my brethren. And that ver verse just before it, Jesus would not have shame to call us brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Well, the church is the assembly of God's people. 
as I understand it. And yet he was quoting a, another psalm here. Psalm chapter 22. Let's go back and take a look at that. Find where. Okay, Psalm chapter 22, verse 22. He says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation, will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him, all ye, the seed of Jacob. Glorify him and fear him, all ye, the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. This is speaking of the nation of Israel. But we are brought into the kingdom of God by the same token. And, and these Hebrews un understood what he was saying here. They knew what he was quoting when he said that. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. So the church is a, a vital thing. It's part of, it's Jesus' body here on the earth. We are representing God. This is our place if we don't let those things get away from us. If we do the will of God the Father, Verse 13 goes on here in Hebrews chapter 2. And again I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God, children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So he was, Jesus came and lived as a man, that as a man he could die on that cross and pay the price of man's sin and destroy the works of the devil. Is that If, if that's not what that's saying, tell me. Because I, I read this through, and this is amazing. If this is what that, it's what I see it as saying. If it says something else, tell me. But that's what I see it saying. That we get to be partakers of the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. We become his flesh. He also himself likewise took part of the same. He, he became flesh and blood, came here from heaven and died so that he could die to pay the price of sin and to destroy 
him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Wow. Verse 15 goes on. And delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Bondage to sin. Bondage to death. They say that, that life is terminal here on this earth. We aren't going to live forever. Our bodies decay and wax old and, and die. But we are delivered he came to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Bondage. That's being tied up, being uh, enslaved, being uh, in prison. However you want to say that. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. God Jesus didn't come and make himself an angel, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, flesh and blood. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faith, and be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. To make reconciliation for the sins of the people. All people. So it behooved him. This is this is that idea of being appropriate for him. To be made like unto his brethren that he might be merciful and faithful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. So he came to reconcile us to God, to make it possible for us to have a part in, in God's kingdom. Because we can't do it by our own strength. There's no way. It's only by the work of God that this can take place. So he was made like we are, that he might, <coughs> excuse me, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Wow. He knew God. He was the son of God. He was there working with God in the creation of all things, of the universe. And yet he came to live as a, a man to make reconciliation for the sins, my sin, your sin, that we could enter into that kingdom because that kingdom will not have sin. It will not. And if we are sinners, we, we won't be there. <laughs> but we are made the body of Christ. And as such, we have a place in that kingdom. And it's only as such that we have a place there. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to suffer them that are tempted. 
to nourish or to support or to, to understand because he's been flesh and blood. He came and he died here in that he, ha he himself has suffered being tempted he is able to support or to nourish to uh, to help us the, those of us who are tempted and he can help us to overcome that temptation scripture says there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man and Jesus became a man and overcame temptation. Temptation to say, uh-uh, I'm not going to die on that cross. When you sing the song, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. But he died on that cross for you and me. And this is what that's saying here. We have this opportunity. Are we going to let that slip? Let it get away from us? Let's don't. Let's be what God wants us to be. Let's use every opportunity and not let that get away from us. This warning is such a, it's a dire warning. And it goes on. It, it goes on in chapter 3 here. So he says, wherefore, it is the way that chapter 3 starts off. So it'll be because of this, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him that appointed him, so we'll stop there. He, he was faithful. He did his part. But he calls on us to be faithful now too. That we can have a part in his kingdom. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for listening. I know I was rather um, intense at times in there, but it, the, the word is intense here. It's intended to be that that we might pay attention, that we not let those things slip away from us.